All right. Hey guys, welcome back to Handling It. I'm your host, Catherine. And as you know, I thought I had my life all figured out and then I realized I actually didn't. But I'm handling it, and one of the best ways I've learned how to do that is to talk with others about how they're handling their own lives. Now, I think I've spoken about my love for reading on the podcast before, but I'm so excited that today's conversation will highlight our first author. Yes, that's right. Today we're joined by author Amanda Air Ward, a New York Times bestselling author, whose book The Jet Setters recently became a New York Times bestseller in Reese's Book Club pick, actress, producer, and entrepreneur Reese Witherspoon's book club. Amanda and I will be talking all about the success of The Jet Setters, as well as a little bit about the books, plot, and characters. Don't worry, though, there won't be any spoilers. We'll also be discussing The Sober Lush, Amanda's newest work, which she co-authored with Jardine LeBaire. The book explores the beauty of an alcohol-free lifestyle and a culture so driven by the casual drink. I can't wait for you all to hear from Amanda and learn about The Jet Setters and The Sober Lush, so feel free to get comfortable, turn up the volume, and I hope you enjoy. Well, I am super excited to welcome today's guest, Amanda Airward. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So now for those who don't know, you are a critically acclaimed author. Your work has been featured in the New York Times, People Magazine. In March, your book, The Jet Setters, was selected as the March pick for Reese Witherspoon's book club. And you also co-authored a self-help book called The Sober Lush, which released this month, actually. So I feel like you've had a busy year. (laughs) Yes, it was funny that they ended up coming out around the same time, the two books. Right. Um, And during a quarantine. And during... It's it's been crazy. (laughs) Sure, it definitely keeps things exciting. I mean, for the Jet Setters... I normally would have flown to L.A. for a lot of Reese's events, um, Mm -hmm. but instead we had to do them at home with my 13-year-old as the tech support. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're definitely handling that just fine, but it is certainly different times. Yes, yes. (laughs) So I definitely want to get into talking about both the Jet Setters and the Sober Lush, but first, I'm just really interested to hear about your history with writing because... You know, you've been in the game for a while now. You've released several other novels. I believe you've released eight in total, correct? Yes, that's right. And one is a short story collection. Amazing. So when did you start out? I mean, was writing always something that you wanted to do? You know, I was always a huge reader when I was little. Things were a bit chaotic in my household when I was a kid, and I would always escape through reading. And then it wasn't until college at Williams College in Massachusetts that I saw a class on fiction writing, and I thought, oh my gosh, you can really do that. I could create (laughs) these worlds like the ones that had saved me as a kid. So I became obsessed with writing fiction in college, and then I traveled and went to graduate school for fiction and then sold my first novel around my 30th birthday. Amazing. Yeah, I always love hearing how, because I majored in journalism, and while I don't write fiction, when I grew up, I always enjoyed writing little stories of my own and, you know, typing up my own works. So that was always like a great pastime of mine. Yes. And, you know, it's funny, I make it sound so easy, but the years between when I wanted to become a writer and sold my first novel felt very long because I worked full-time jobs and I would write at night when all my friends were going out for margaritas or early in the morning (laughs) when everyone was asleep. And it was, I remember hearing writers on a stage speaking about their careers. And I thought to myself, if I am ever on that stage, 
I'm going to say it's so hard because it was hard before. And then the first book deal hardly made me rich, right. um, but it, it was some validation. And it's really hard to keep going with something when honestly, nobody's waiting for you to finish it. <laughs> so, <laughs> those were for crazy years. It makes for an interesting career because like you said, you really have to put in the work behind it before it really yes. picks, picks up and takes off thing we were mentioning um, before we started recording that working during the quarantine is so confusing, but that some of us have already done it, you know, have already worked <laughs> under weird circumstances. And so I would say trying to be a novelist when I was working full-time jobs was a similar situation of just having to work when I could. Right. So when do you find, I mean, even now speaking, when do you find is the best time for you to write? I mean, do you have a routine or is it more sporadic? You know, when I, an idea comes and you just pull out pen and paper. That sounds so ideal. I would love <laughs> that. And I actually, there was about six months after I sold my first novel before I had my first child, when I would stay up late watching movies and reading and then sleep late and then write, you know, anytime I wanted. And it was so wonderful. But that is not my life anymore. <laughs> so um, now I really do treat it like a job. Uh, usually when my kids are at school is when I work, but now nobody goes anywhere. So I sneak off in the morning when my head is sort of dreamy still. And I write until probably about lunchtime usually when I go to start to spend time with my kids. And then when I'm with them, I'm often thinking about the book. Um, if we're on a hike, I wonder if one of my characters went on that hike and kind of take note of all the trees. Or if we're in a town, I'll say, oh, where would this character live and kind of find them a house or go eat at a diner where they might eat. So I'm always kind of working in the back of my mind, but the actual typing is in the morning. Sure. Yeah, I I was going to say, I feel like it's one of those things where it's probably really hard to find the time. It is right now really hard. And we've been lucky enough. Um, we're in a town in Colorado where we have family. So there's an extra room for me to go work in. And that makes all the difference. Just a quiet place to be, be by myself. I really need that. I'm lucky <laughs> that my job requires me to be alone because it's what I need every day. Yeah, I feel like definitely with everybody in quarantine right now, everybody needs like a quiet room to focus and concentrate on themselves. Yes, yes. And it sure is hard to find, I'll tell you. It is, it's rough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and then in terms of genres, again, you've written a wide variety of novels. Is there a specific genre that you really like working with? You know, The Jet Setters, which is the story of a dysfunctional family on a Mediterranean cruise, mm -hmm. is the first book I've written without a real plot. It didn't have a crime to solve. There wasn't um, a body to be found. There were no mysteries. It was just a family with secrets and issues that I trapped together for 10 days traveling through the Mediterranean. Mm -hmm. And cruise ships are so fun for me. So it was hard. This was the hardest book I've ever had to write because I finished the first draft and my editor said, you know, I really don't like these characters very much. And I had to go back for another year and try to figure out I saw all the characters as very empathetic, and I loved them, but that wasn't coming across. And I think in trying to be funny, I was making fun of them, and I had to <laughs> learn how to be kind to them. And right. so I went back, and I added a lot of 
um, information about their childhoods and why they would react a certain way. So it was harder for me because when you're trying to solve a crime, it, it sort of gives the novel a propulsion and it, I have it all laid out. And the book I'm working on now is a little bit more of a thriller and that comes much more naturally to me. Mm-hmm. So the jet setters was hard, but I loved it. Yeah. So let's talk the jet setters because I think everybody should know about this book. Um, If you want to give a brief synopsis or a little teaser for everybody who hasn't read it yet, what the book's about and the characters. I would love to. So The Jet Setters starts off with a 70-year-old woman in Savannah named Charlotte Perkins, and she sees an ad for a contest called Become a Jet Setter, and you have to submit an essay to become a jet setter and you win a 10 day Mediterranean cruise. And she thinks she's too elegant to go cruising, but really (laughs) she hasn't gone anywhere in a long time. And so she drinks a bunch of Chardonnay and decides to write about this sexy episode in her past. And she wins a cruise and brings her three adult children along. So we have Lee, who's pretending to be a famous actress in Los Angeles, but in fact, her career has fallen apart. And then there's Cord, who works in venture capital in New York City, and he is gay but has not come out to his family, and he's engaged to um, his love, this young man named Giovanni. And then the third character is Reagan, who is a stay-at-home mom in Savannah, who's married to a bad guy and has to figure out how to get out. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like each character is really different from the next. Yes, I love them all so much. But my favorite character is Giovanni, Cord's fiance. Mm-hmm. He just seems like a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole book seems like a lot of fun. And I think right now with everyone, you know, really not able to travel, it provides a great sense of escapism. Yes, it's unbelievable. It does seem to be everywhere, and it's really exciting. As you said, this is my eighth book and my first New York Times bestseller. So (laughs) it's nice to know if you stick with it, you know, sometimes it can happen on your eighth try. Amazing. Well, and then (laughs) also I read that you were actually inspired by a cruise that you went on to write the book. Well, so what happened is um, a few summers ago, I was in Austin, Texas, and the summers are terrible. It's 100, over 100 or 110 in the summers. And I was in my house with my three kids in my ratty pink bathrobe, and they were arguing and running around and making a ton of noise. And I was flipping through a travel magazine, and I saw a picture of a cruise balcony looking over the Mediterranean Ocean. And a voice in my head said, Amanda, you belong on that balcony. you got to get there. Get out of this hot kitchen in this ratty bathroom. So it's funny because I, I watched an Oprah video about making a vision board, and I always thought I need to have a New York Times bestseller, and then I'll have a ton of money, and then I'll go on a Mediterranean cruise. <laughs> but then when I was thinking about it that night after I had seen the picture, I, I thought, well, I'm going to short circuit that. I'm going to write a book set on a Mediterranean cruise, and that's going to give me the money to go. And then the irony is that eventually that book hit the Times bestseller list. But, but it taught me that you should try to get your dreams as soon as possible. That's what now I realize because, I mean, I couldn't go right. on that cruise now. <laughs> and I'm glad I did. So I booked this cruise, Carnival Cruise Line, which is sort of the cheesiest, least expensive, <laughs> craziest, most fun cruise line there is, had built a new ship, the Vista, in Italy, and they ran a few 10-day itineraries. So 
Oh, I booked. I remember hitting the ticket to hitting the link to buy those cheap tickets and the expensive plane tickets. And I just, I've never felt so elated. It was just this like, I'm doing it. I'm going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a cruise, def- any sort of travel sounds great right now. I wish. <laughs> no. And I spent the whole cruise taking pictures of things like the light fixtures and the carpeting and all the things I would need for my book. And my son said, if someone found your phone, mom, they'd think you were nuts. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. And then, of course, along with this success, we talked about before Reese Witherspoon's book club. I mean, what was that like? Be still my heart. Oh, like that must have been amazing. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I got the call about a month before the book came out and you're not allowed to tell a soul. I told (laughs) my husband and that's all. I didn't even tell my kids. I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell my best friend because you can't let it get out, apparently. Sure. Um, And so I knew for a month, and I had a little dinner party the day before it was announced, um, which was the last dinner party I've had in March. (laughs) And I had a few of my best friends over, and we pulled out the book and showed them the cover and all cheered. I mean, it's just such an incredible network. The, The book club, the people who work for Reese's Book Club are incredible, and they are so supportive of authors. And then the people who mm-hmm. follow her book club are really your ideal readers as a novelist. They're people who just love, love to read and want to, you know, get into your characters. And the, people buy my other books now. It's just mm-hmm. incredible and wonderful and goes to show you just can't plan. Something like that can happen sometimes. Definitely. Yeah, I love her book club. I think because when it comes to literature, it's very similar to how I am with like film and television as well. I really love anything like thrillers, comedies. Like I, I really love it all. (laughs) And I feel like her book club definitely gives you that variety. Yes. I know when I went there, they gave me a bag of all of her picks and uh, every single one is incredible. I've just finished um, the last Mrs. Parrish which is such a masterful thriller. I mean, just fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it's been really fun. I know. I know she has some uh, picks for June that I really want to read that highlight black voices. So that's also really awesome yeah. too. And like you yeah. said, all, they're always highlighting authors and really just getting their voices and their messages out there. Yes. It's incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm very lucky. So then your next book, and one that was just released, The Sober Lush, which you co-wrote with Jardine LaBerre. I love the idea about this, and I just want to quote a little bit of what I read. It's a hedonist guide to living a decadent, adventurous, soulful life, alcohol-free. So I love that whole concept and message. And if you want to talk about the story behind The Sober Lush and a little bit about what it's about, that'd be great. I would love to. So I'm someone, my dad is a sober alcoholic, and I'm someone who drank a lot in my day. And then about four years ago, a little over four years ago, just realized that I didn't want to have alcohol in my life anymore. It was Mm -hmm. becoming too stressful to worry about overdoing it. And I just felt like there had to be a better life where I wasn't always worrying if I was drinking too much and thinking so much about it. I'd spent my whole life worried about other people's alcohol usage, and I just wanted to be free of it. So I had quit a few times, and I had chosen a lot of friends who 
drank a lot. Um, we went to a, my husband and I went to a lot of parties. We had a very active social life and it was hard to just mm-hmm. remove my Chardonnay from the picture. But then one day a friend of mine said, you should meet this other writer, Jardine LeBaire, who's also not drinking. And so I went over to Jardine's house. I'll never forget it. She lived in this beautiful bungalow in Austin and she was playing a record of John Coltrane, I think. And she (laughs) made us a hot um, French press coffee in beautiful China cups. And I sat down and I thought, oh, this is the life I want. I want this beautiful, elegant life where booze just isn't even necessary because it's such a glamorous, fun life to be in. And so she had been sober a bit longer than me, Jardine had, but we became really good friends and talked about how we'd read so many great books about people who had quit drinking. And then, of course, there's sort of, you know, the role self-help books that, that get you sober. But we wanted to write a life, I mean, write a book about the way you could create this life we were trying to create as we wrote it. So mm-hmm. it was something I had wished I had had maybe 10 years ago when I was first starting to wonder if alcohol was working for me. And my hope is that, because it seems like younger people now are just saying, I'm not going to wait until I get really bad or have real problems. I'm just going to embrace a booze-free life starting now. So that's mm-hmm. what it's about. It's everything from zero-proof cocktail recipes to essays about taking a hot bath or leaving a party without telling anybody just because you're ready to go (laughs) and um, honey. And and so we just tried to create a beautiful book about the type of life we were hoping for. And I think that's really great. And the idea in general is just really genius because we do live in a culture where I feel like the idea of relaxing and you know, hanging out with friends, it consists of drinking. But, you know, as this book explains, there's so many ways to live like a beautiful and fun life without drinking. (laughs) And I know for myself, like, there's some days where I just don't want to drink, you know, and anymore, you have happy hours and so much is centered around it that I think to embrace (laughs) sobriety and just the option of not drinking is really wonderful. And it's not always easy, you know, when you're going to the same parties, or at least for me, I was going to the same parties, doing the same things. I still hosted huge parties. And then I started to hear this voice that would say, you know, I don't even want to go to that party, or I'm not having fun, or I don't want my kids to be around this, or I just invited 10 people for dinner and I don't want to cook. (laughs) And so... It was, it was a matter of listening to that voice and recreating from the ground up what I did want. And now I, when I host a party, it's very small and that feels much less stressful to me. And I often leave things early or don't go. Um, and so there's just all sorts mm-hmm. of ways in which I, I think I was lubricating things I didn't want to, didn't like about my life with Chardonnay. And when I removed it, I had to change them. Right. That's so. beautiful. Yeah. And I, I feel like, I hear a lot of people saying with everything going on with the coronavirus and people are indoors more, they're saying, oh yeah, like we have to hit up the liquor stores and get all our wine we can. And I was surprised, like that was the last thing on my mind. I was more like, oh, I want to go take a hike or I want to go call a friend. And I sort of (laughs) reevaluated my interests and being in this weird new situation where it's like, how do you want to spend your time? Like you said, you sort of make some changes. 
You know, that's exactly what the book is about. Um, and I think that for a lot of us, you've already figured this out, but Jardine and I really had to do sort of a forensic investigation about what we wanted. And, you know, so I was wanting different things when I was grabbing a glass of wine. Sometimes mm -hmm. it was, I wanted to feel like an adult and connect with my husband, even though we had to stay home with the kids. And so having a little bit of wine kind of made it feel fun. So now I have mm -hmm. to rethink that and say, okay, you know what, we need to go for a walk or we need to have a picnic or, you know, do it in a different way. And sometimes I wanted to feel like I was off duty. And so we write a chapter called the adult snow day, you know, like sometimes <laughs> you just need to shut the door and binge Netflix and eat ice cream. And that's okay to too. And, you know, so it's, it was like, what are we, what are you looking for with the alcohol and how can you create that in a healthier way? Mm -hmm. Totally. So, yeah, I cannot wait to read it. And I, again, I think it's a really great book for people to read right now, just with all the extra time yeah. we have on our hands and how we're spending that time. I think it's a really going to be a really great read for people. I'm so glad, you know, it, it's great. And we're getting a lot of great feedback from people and, and, you know, people saying, Oh, I knew I should cut back, but I didn't want to do it during quarantine. Well, it's never the right time. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I didn't quit for years because, Oh, well, I'm going to Rome and I need to drink wine in Rome. And we have a whole <laughs> chapter about how I went to Rome and didn't drink wine. And I still had a great time and went biking through the streets, you know, <laughs> and did other things. So it's pretty great when life opens up afterward at least it has been for me so hopefully the book will inspire other people totally totally well and that's another thing so where can people find you and your work I mean do you have any I know a lot of people are doing events um, on social media with all this quarantine business um, is there anything you have coming up virtually or any new you know works that'll be coming out soon well Jardine and I are writing a kind of essays that are coming out um, in various magazines and on websites. But um, we had an event that was scheduled during the week when Black Lives Matter came to the forefront. And it seemed important to us to just be quiet for a little while and let mm -hmm. other voices have the stage. So we canceled that event. And we think we might do it maybe not even till January. January is a great time for a lot of people kind of reevaluating their drinking. So we might just push it off. And that event was going to be fun. It, it's with Kathy Valentine of the Go-Go's, who is also awesome. sober. Awesome. Hepala, who wrote Blackout. So it was going to be, it's for before white women, you know? So it seemed like the wrong time. Sure. And with the Jet Setters, there's, it's just unbelievable. I am doing podcasts and zoom things and book clubs and it's just amazing random house is still pushing it and it's just amazing i mean awesome. every time i go on instagram there's somebody's adorable dog or a beach bag or sunglasses with my book i've never seen it i've never had anything like it so bookstagrammers are so incredible and it just gives you this jolt of euphoria every time i'm like there's my book with somebody's adorable puppy oh my gosh <laughs> yeah and the cover <laughs> is amazing too i love like the bright color it's perfect for summer it's funny we went through that was always the cover i loved it from the first minute but we they considered making it peach colored and green colored and all these different ones. And for about a week, I was emailing my friends and finally we decided on yellow and I'm glad we did. I love it. Oh yeah. Yellow is my favorite color. So I cannot tell you how many books I buy just because they're yellow and like a bright, fun color. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. I think it's a bright color for sure. And then my new book, um, I'm right now working on a book called The Lifeguard. So that's a lot of fun, too. 
Exciting. Well, and then before you go, uh, since this is handling it, as we talked about, and we're all just really handling life right now, um, throughout your work as an author, are there any moments, any life advice you picked up along the way that's helped you handle your life? You know, especially as a writer, when I speak to groups, um, I, I always want to tell young women ambitious. Because I think the reason I was able, I wrote one book that never got published, and then I wrote another book, and I just somehow have this, it's a combination of drive and the ability to write stuff that's not very good. I just keep going, because if the, if the first draft isn't good, then the second draft will be better. I never allow the voice that says, you really can't do this, this work is terrible, what are you thinking? Like a, cru- a novel set on a cruise ship is kind of a nutty idea. <laughs> and I definitely heard a lot of voices saying, you're never gonna win a Pulitzer now, <laughs> this is such a cheesy idea. But I really just loved it and went with it and wanted to write a book about joy and So that's why, you know, having faith and being ambitious, especially for women, I think is really, really important. Totally. Yeah. Persevere, persevere. I mean, that's definitely the best motto. And valuing your work and your time. I mean, I I spent a lot of time writing to the detriment of other things, you know, taking care of kids or cleaning or whatever else people thought I should be doing. Because I valued my work. And I so often have friends who just say, oh, how can I take a weekend in a hotel room writing when, you know, my mom would have to watch my kids and my husband won't know what I'm doing. And, you know, you just have to value it. I check into motels all the time by myself and I love (laughs) it. And it's how I work. Yeah. And well, I think what you were saying before with writing the Jet Setters, I mean, don't cut your ambition short. Don't cut that dream short. And, you know, if maybe the path that you wanted to take to get there isn't working out. Well, like who says that's the only way to get there? Like write your own path and, you know, hit your dream that way. Exactly. Exactly. And really just listen to the voice. Even if it's telling you, you don't belong in your own kitchen, that you belong on a Mediterranean cruise ship. You can listen and get yourself there. (laughs) Right. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you talking with us today. This was so great. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And I'm glad to speak with you. Yeah. And I really hope everybody checks out your work. I'm going to be listing links in the episode description for this episode on where people can buy and find them. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed hearing from Amanda and learning all about her career as a writer and some of the work she's done. As I mentioned, I'll be leaving links in my bio so that you can check out. And if you're interested, purchase the Jet Setters and the Sober Lush. And thank you, Amanda, so much for coming on, and thank you guys so much for listening. As always, let me know what you thought of the episode. You can reach us on Instagram at Handling It Podcast, and feel free to send us a message and let us hear your thoughts and suggestions. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode, but until then, keep staying safe with everything going on in the world right now, and keep handling it. I'll talk to you soon.